Welcome to This Week in the 90s, brought to you by Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The original one, that is. On today's show, we'll be talking the brilliance of Dennis Bergkamp, the fastness of Robbie Fowler, the terrible for Massimo Taibbi, and David Beckham's England bow. Yes, alliteration lovers, that was for you. All that and loads more to come on This Week in the 90s. Hi. This is Elton Wellsby, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the outstanding 90s football podcast. Thank you very much for joining us on, yes, another slice of 90s football action for you and all you lovely people out there who've downloaded this podcast this week. And I couldn't do this alone. My compadres are, of course, with me, as always. On this episode of this week in the nineties, firstly, he is now well. He's he lives in the modern life at the moment. At Eleven Sports, Mr. Joel Young. How you doing? Yeah, hello. I'm very well, Ash. Thank you. Yeah. Now my my job, and this is going to make this is going to win me a lot of fans, I'm sure. But now my job is watching football. That's a good job. Yeah, That's just a... watching football. Yeah, essentially watching football that not many people are watch can watch. Because how can you watch Eleven? Uh, well, I don't even know how you can watch Eleven. It's it's on an app at the minute, and and it's going to be able to, you're going to be able to cast it soon. And they're having discussions with Sky and Virgin. Oh, and okay, right. So it hasn't got a channel yeah. at the moment. It's just an app. It's just an app at right. the moment. But they've yeah. got but, all, um, well, they've got everything, have they? All the foreign Liga, stuff, that? yeah. La Liga. They've got um, Serie A. They've got Eredivisie. Very good game on last Sunday, actually, between uh, Hayden Vane and Feyenoord, which Feyenoord won five three. Oh, goals galore! They were winning four 0 at one point. Van Persie scored, and um, they came back to Herenveen came back to four three, and then they went straight back up the other end just when it was looking like the draw was on the cards and and put it to bed. So that was very good. Yeah, mm. and uh, Ronaldo's home debut. For there was Juventus a few comebacks in Syria. I noticed at the weekend, wasn't it? Actually, there was like yeah, Milan. Um, both the Milan sides uh, were were leading two nil, and and both got beat three yeah. two. I think in yeah. the end. So that and Napoli that didn't they come back from two 0 down? Napoli, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 A lot of goals don't really associate Carlo, with Syria. Ah. Carlo Ancelotti's team. Yeah, Napoli. the, the other yeah. people's eyebrow in uh, Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're leaving Matthew out speaking here. Of which, speaking <laughs> of which, actually, let's get to, let's get to this. Uh, were you with the WWE women today? No, that, I, I, they they sent me those images. No, I can't claim that I was with Bailey and Sasha Banks. Uh, no media allowed. Unfortunately, I was going to yeah. ask if they were actually friends this week when you saw them. But seen as you weren't with them, no, they weren't actually. No, unfortunately, no, they were no. the Arsenal women today. Um, I think Pierre um, Umbamiyang is at the O2 tonight as well um, for the event at the WWE for the special and, show, yeah, uh, for the weird special show that they needed to fill in for the O2. But let's bring Matthew in because we've just been sitting and chatting about wrestling, which he's always staying silent for. He is a writer from many plethora outfits. He stays in the retro range more than this eleven sports nonsense. Matthew, come in, join in the fun. You got eleven I sports. Was... I was going to say, for someone, you know, you've gone from someone who's very much in the here and now to somebody who's very much, uh, very much in the past. And I think Joel must be being paid by the hour because I've never heard him talk so much about <laughs> Spanish football and Italian football ever. And then suddenly he's got this gig and he's waxing lyrical about uh, things that we never normally talk about. So I think, I think he should be well, never, yeah, the yellow carded I, I, for that. I've actually never had reason to go and watch La Liga in Serie A before, so my knowledge is becoming quite widespread, really. You know, and yeah. the fact that I could talk about a good game in the Dutch league has really stunned me more than anybody else. Well, you, know? You, know, you know what I say to that? 
keep it nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the first time Heron Veen have been mentioned on this podcast. Yeah. I'm going to have to amend that bingo card. I can yeah, see I don't, I don't, I'm not sure it's going to happen again. Um, it, although I did like your. We, it's where Middlesbrough bought Alfonso Alves for formerly oh, right. our record guy. Yeah. He scored, didn't he score like eight goals in one match? Wasn't that the reason that you yeah, got that him? Yeah, that was probably why we got yeah, him there. Yeah. Famously forced upon Gareth Southgate by the hierarchy of the clubs. Yeah. Going, as Matthew said, keeping it 90s though, you tweeted earlier, Joel, that uh, Janino has made, what is that new programme on BBC One? Uh, Impossible, yeah. Uh, there was a question on Impossible tonight, uh, which 2002, so not quite nice, which 2002 Brazilian World Cup winner played for Middlesbrough and Celtic? And it was, of course, Janino. The impossible answer was... Uh, Jezinho, and the other answer you could have chose was Ronaldo, wow. who didn't I, play for us. I'm not sure of the concept of impossible because it's in the pointless slot now, isn't it? I thought pointless yeah. was still on at that time. So, well, impossible presented by Rick Edwards. Oh, it's Rick Edwards. Is, wow. Yes, it's uh, you get it's a it's a multiple choice game. You get uh, a question with three answers. You've got a right answer, a wrong answer, and an impossible answer. Oh, okay. There you go. So it couldn't have been Jezinho. You know, so it could have only been Janino or Ronaldo, and Ronaldo was the wrong answer, and Janino was the right answer, and it got a yelp of joy in my house. The cat was very startled. Do you know what, Joel? Janino is always the right answer on on this podcast. Let's be honest. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that's keep it nineties as we all do here, and uh, talk about what we're firstly talking about tonight—a uh, match that's well remembered in the nineteen nineties, and a much. Well, a game that I, I knew was brilliant, but when I watched it back, I, I enjoyed it even more. We're talking 27th of August, 1997. It's Leicester 3, Arsenal 3. Now, Matthew, my memory must have got hazy when before I started watching this again, because I, um, I forgot how good this game was. It was real end-to-end stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, well, my memory was that hazy that I've only just remembered it myself, because I did. I watched it um, I watched it earlier on. It, it's remembered a lot for, for the goals, obviously, isn't it? It's obviously remembered for the... Uh, Bergkamp's intervention in the in the game, but um, it, it does a, does the match a bit of an injustice, I think, don't you? With the uh, with the drama that unfolded on on that night, so um, not that, not that you can not that you can blame Mr. Bergkamp, of course, but um, but uh, yeah, I think it would have whether whether it would have been remembered as such if it hadn't been for the uh, you know, for the for the goals, then um, I'm not too sure, but um, but. But I'm sure he's not going to lose any sleep over that. Do you? Yeah, that, that's where I think my memory was a bit weird. I thought that all three goals were worldies, but actually the second one—I mean, it's a decent finish, but it isn't up there with the other two very memorable goals. And um, that's the absolutely sort of the story of the match. Yeah, the Arsenal go two up on the hour, so they went one 0 with Burkamp. Brilliant, uh, amazing, typical Burkamp goal from the corner of the bo- uh, box into the top corner. It's uh, amazing. It's like he's side footing it. If you look at his technique. It's almost like just a normal midfield pass, but it's but he must get such power in the side of his foot, and it just floats over Kellerin right in the postage stamp, as they say on Soccer Saturday. Yeah, um, top bins, they say the kids now. Yeah, it's just it, it just looks like it could almost be like a crossfield pass, and it's just it's exquisite, really. That's the word for it. It's a typical Burkham, isn't it? I mean, it's, he was known for that kind of more of a curler, wasn't he? I always think of when Burkham used to open his body up and curl the ball around. This is more uh, further out and not, I wouldn't say a curler. He really aims for that top corner, doesn't he? Um, top bins, as I just said. And it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful strike. Um, Ian Wright then goes close, but then Burkham makes it 2-0. This is the goal that doesn't make it uh, as uh, classed as a worldie, I suppose, where it sort of flips over Keller. He gets half of it and then it bounces into the net. And it's 2-0 until the 86th minute, 
Um, and then Emil Heskey, uh, a ball in the box from Gary Parker. There's someone we haven't mentioned on here before, real 90s name. Seaman caught napping and flapping, and Heskey with an open goal makes it 3. So this is 2-1 on the 86th minute, and then by the 91st, it's 3-3 after another Burkamp, probably the goal that everybody remembers when it goes over the top of the defence, and he kind of hits it once over Mallet Elliott's head, and then hits it again, and then goes into the into the bottom corner, one of the typically Burkamp goals. What the commentator said was amazing. He just said, it's four touches, one to control it, one to beat the defender, one to steady himself and another one to beat the keeper. Yeah, it's it's one of those goals where I think only Dennis Burkamp could really score. The, the touch is exquisite, it really is. Um, and then Stevie Walsh equalises in the 91st minute uh, with a with a corner after Matt Elliott had got the uh, the previous equaliser. But here, Matt Elliott's the assist this time, uh, Gary Parker corner, and then it's a big old... Uh, header at the back post from uh, Steve Walsh uh, of the two goals Matthew what, what, what's, what's your favourite from the, the Dennis Burkham catalogue there um, it's hard to go against the uh, the last one there you described where he flicks it over the defender I do like the I do like the execution of the sort of curling stroke non-curling curler into the yeah, far it corner it is a curler but it's what? not yeah it's, it doesn't yeah. curl yeah you know what you know what's really refreshing about watching these these goals in this game is, is seeing goals go into a goal net that isn't one of those standard square big goal nets that you you know you, you've seen goals yeah. now and because it, it's almost I think it must be some kind of regulation that everyone has to have these the standard goal nets but when you when you see goals go into a net that are, it's only about well two feet deep and and you know with the old-fashioned stanchion it just looks so much more um I don't know it's so much more exciting, pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's more floppy isn't it it's like a floppy yeah. net it's a bit like with the Dell, you know, you'd have those goals where they were so they were yeah. tight and they were, you know, so sometimes it would bounce straight back out. And you, the same with Middlesbrough had the same, didn't it, Joe? We had one end that was a, a, a tight, narrow yeah. net because it didn't have the room. And, and just QPR had those sort of saggy, uh, <laughs> shallow nets. And it, I just, just watching this, I think, wonder how many goals wouldn't have looked as exciting or as memorable if you just had these standard square nets that we've got now. It's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a fetish of mine, but it's yeah. something that I think I think we miss. I miss football. a I miss a goal. Yeah, bouncing straight back out when you wasn't there a famous goal? I think it was Mark Hughes. Yeah, Hughes against uh, uh, Southampton, Southampton, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, he sort of he sort of was leaning back, hit it in from across, and it and it went in and came back out, and and surprisingly, I think they just played on. Didn't yeah, they? I think he he thought it went in or knew it went in, but everyone mm. else seemed to just shoot. Well, unless they were bluffing him, but. Uh, but uh, no, it definitely went in and it didn't count. But Seeing as it's Mark Hughes, I'm going to say it definitely didn't go in. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> okay. um, I hear a bad word against Mark. Yeah. Um, I miss goals hitting the stanchion as well. You don't hear that word very often, do you? I mean, that no. There was a Clive Allen one from like the eighties where the ball gets stuck in this, and I think it used to be on the opening of match of the day. Yeah, that was the, pa- Palace against Go- Coventry. Isn't it the Golden Strachan one? That's the one on on uh, grandstand, wasn't it? Wasn't that the one? There was a famous, there was a famous Clive Allen one for Palace against Coventry, where he yeah. takes a takes the ball from a throw in turns and hits it into the into the corner, and it it does come down off the stanchion, and uh, and the ref doesn't give it again. And then, a, and then you see you can lip read uh, Clive Allen saying, "Come off it, man!" It it's it, it, the stanchion. You can, which you think he's, he's one for the bingo card, but quite a vintage bingo card. Uh, it's on Danny Baker's own goals and gaffs. No, oh, yeah. I was thinking about that today. I was thinking. I think it, I, there was a fantasy football. There was a Phoenix and the Flames on it as well. If you want to bring it to the, keep it nineties, oh. they did a, a recreation of it. But maybe that's why they got rid of stanchions. But I just think it's boring. I think you want. You could tell a game. I could still tell a game and a ground now from just the goal nets, probably from 
from the 70s, 80s and sort of half of the 90s. But well, now it's how, just... how do you feel about coloured goal nets? Because didn't they wait for a phase where they used to be coloured, didn't they? As well, I remember didn't, and didn't Liverpool have red goal nets? Yeah, Liverpool had red nets up until quite recently, didn't yeah. they? But I, I get the feeling they were probably told it's a regulation; they've got to be white. But you know, you've had like checkered versions <laughs> and stripes, and it, I assumed it was just. And you'd also have goal nets and goal posts and stanchions that were there for decades. Because I'm sure the old Wembley posts and stanchions were the same ones that they had from the start, right up until. Until Scotland well, went there and broke the crossbar. Well, yeah, but I mean, they had that sort of almost semi-circular yeah. shape goal, yeah. didn't they, with the green stanchion that they just kept forever and ever. And then I think about Euro 96, they swapped them for a sort of a shallower square net. Now they've gone for the standard, standard bog standard, um, you know, six foot deep by two foot wide or whatever it is that they're told to use. But it's just... Uh, uh, just an interesting thing that kids of today won't won't appreciate, but we, I'm sure we could have an interesting conversation. Well, we've just had an interesting we, yeah, well, it's not, it's not a conversation I prepared for, but it was a, it's interesting. That, well, I don't know if everyone's going to feel sounding like that kit man off uh, the Man United DVD at the, ball, uh, the VHS <laughs> I, I, at the moment. I for one, I for one, found that very interesting, <laughs> and so did so did my family on Christmas Day, 1989, <laughs> who were forced to watch it. Do you know what's really funny as well, Joe? You appreciate this. I was I went to the premiere of the Man City, or I don't know if you've got to see the all or nothing documentary that, that's, the that's on the amazon prime so i've seen the first episode i haven't managed to catch the rest i mean it's really for those who like the behind the wall type things but you know it's it's really it's fascinating to see pep guardiola do team talks and stuff but there's a scene in the first episode where the kit man goes through the boots and it's almost like he's right. See, back it's like a norman davis day, yeah you know, he was setting the trend back in the late 80s it's a homage. He probably, yeah he was probably carrying on an age-old tradition of uh of the boot stroke kit man yeah i was actually sort of half laughing to myself in the in the cinema watching it going i wonder if he's ever watched that man united maybe he listens to the podcast whoever the man city kit man the ginger guy who's the kit man but yeah it, it really did make me laugh um last word on this game and i couldn't we couldn't on alive and kicking not mention the teams as we were as i always like to and especially one man joe i'm surprised you haven't mentioned a certain fullback who's in the leicester team oh man no, it came up in the commentary yeah i just don't want to talk about him Pontius Camar. yeah the infamous Pontius Camar. yeah but this Hang is... on, isn't there an anecdote that you've got to tell whenever it's I've already doubt everybody knows it imagine out of the game in the <laughs> and it's because we, it's because we played there three weeks before and that and Janino absolutely told the bits we won in the league one three nil or three one or something and then he decided to stick Pontius Camac on him for yeah. the whole match and Therefore, it was a tacti- it was a tactical stroke of genius from Martin O'Neill, the dirty rotten scummer. <laughs> it's very much the, the Leicester team of that era, though. Like if, from one to eleven, if I don't know if that they probably weren't one to eleven given swag numbers at the time. But you look at Keller and Elliot and Pryor, Guppy, Lennon, Is it Savage, Claridge, Heskey? It was that very much that team against the, the Arsenal team, of course, that went on and did the double this season. Burkamp in his majestic best from this game onwards and you look at Seaman Dixon Bold Grimondi which is probably the odd name on this he was a squad member that season Winterburn Overmars Parla Petit Vieira Burkham and Wright I mean that team stellar names stellar names they finished what uh, I always used to like about Neil Lennon is whenever he sort of whenever something happened to Neil Lennon where he's sent off or signed a new contract or anything the people on teletext just always had to try to shoehorn in a Beatles gag so it was always like Lennon says, "Let it be" to new okay. Leicester contract. The long and winding road to Celtic for Neil Lennon and all this sort of stuff. It was it wasn't as entertaining as when uh, Julian Dix was playing football, though, was it? Yeah. I remember a Celtic headline for that when he was. Uh, there was a question about his, his an injury, and it, the headline was 
dicks out to prove fitness. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't say it to his face, though, would you? Come on, he was a he was a bit of a hard man, Mister Julian. Um, yeah, no. was, he was a uh, yeah. Uh, John Lukic on the bench, which is someone you forget he was still playing for Arsenal at the time, and Stephen Hughes, who uh, somebody I met me and my brother-in-law were watching uh, Premier League years. What does the year were we were watching on uh, ninety nine two thousand on Sunday morning after a, a, a bit of a night out, which was uh, quite good. And Stephen Hughes came up there. He's moved to Everton, and he, we both he turned around to me and went, I forgot he even existed. So, so if Stephen Hughes is out there listening, he's not on Twitter, he's not been on the show, but yeah, here's a shout out to former Arsenal and Everton midfielder Stephen Hughes. Um, this is the uh, also the game, so those two goals from Burkham actually won him first, second and third place, which is the only time that's ever happened in the goal of the month, BBC, uh, Match of Day's goal of the month for August 1997. I put it on Twitter earlier, um, the Leicester goals were one and two and the number three was a Southampton goal, which... I'm surprised it was number three. I thought there were better goals in there. But yeah, it's the only time one single player has been one, first, second and third um, in the whole rate, um, voting for uh, BBC Goal of the Month. Uh, Leicester finished 10th in that as well, so uh, of that season in 1997. Uh, from one hat-trick from to another, well, in just a second, but I can't let this, uh, what's going on on my TV, go across without mentioning it to Joel. Joel, Question of Sport is currently on my TV. Oh, news. God. Your favourite programme. Oh, it's the most middle-class smug <laughs> television programme in the world. Do you know that it's that and Top Gear that have got, like, the, the longest audience waiting list you know for people to go and watch it. really it's just yeah yeah that and top gear are the two top gear i kind of get but question the sport question of sport yeah and i can't I, I can't wait for in about six months time when joel suddenly starts working for question of sport and he <laughs> starts praising it and saying what a great program it is how oh, much he loves not, it it's just, it's just awful it's horrible it's just banter it's so bad smuggery yeah of people and, and and like Sid Barker laughing at everything Tufnell with his stupid acting who else is on it Matt Dawson Matt oh Matt Dawson yeah, yeah. Uh, it's no Bill he's Bowman he's a nice and he, man though I can't I can't say anything bad about him because I've met him and he came on Sunday Brunch I think and he was very nice no, so well, but no, I, 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 it's a it's a it's, it's a program that you know it gets shunted around the I, I was going to say this when is it when is it actual Friday at half slot? seven is that because it, what's it doing on, on now it gets a repeat on a Wednesday night. Oh, okay. Because that was always a Monday night. Was it Monday night or was it the Wednesday night? Wednesday night. night it, so, it, yeah, it was like a yeah, like a prime time, wasn't it? When it was Beaumont and and, and uh, tomorrow's world question of sport. That's yeah, a classic Thursday night BBC One lineup right there. And now we don't even know when it's on, and if, oh. if it, you do know when it's on, you don't want to watch it because you hate it. So oh, I don't like it. I used to watch it. I think, in the 90s, so, when you had Bill Bowman and Ian Botham and David Coleman. And yeah, Willie Carson. It's, yeah, it was much, much more watchable. I used to play a game with my dad and used to challenge him to see who could be answer the football questions. I always won, obviously. I, I actually had the board game for that. Did you, did you ever have that? Uh, I, think I, I think it. I did, actually. Yeah, had, the picture, had the picture board. Yeah. yeah. And we'd have the cards that you'd turn around and... Uh, that was when board games were in their their peak, their prime. I tell it? you, I tell you the best board game I had. It was called the Football League game. I've, it's in the book. Yeah, cheap plug for the Alive and Kicking book. Um, and yeah, it's straight question and answer. But I was such a geek that I knew it. But you also had a little plastic football pitch, and you could move. And every time you got a question right, you moved the little ball up a notch until you get a goal, and then it was the first to five goals win. So yeah, Sorry. I'm going to jump in with something that's on the BBC iPlayer. Oh, good. Which- it's now we're going to keep his sixties <laughs> because there's a there's a quiz show that's up there on the iPlayer and you can go and look for it. It's a game show called Quiz Ball. Okay, and it's and it's presented by David Vine. It's really convoluted. You've got to score a goal, but it's Arsenal against 
Nottingham Forest. But Arsenal have got um, I can't got some, like it's the actual it's the Arsenal manager to the Arsenal players, and then it might be sort of David Hamilton or David Jacobs or somebody on one side. And on the other side, it's it's the Forest manager to the Forest players and. Ted Malt, who you might remember from the Everest adverts. There you go. Let's keep it 80. Uh, yeah, and it's really sort of peculiar to go and watch. And just funny that the Arsenal players are just... Um, the Arsenal and the Forest players are just absolutely falling over themselves to, to beat each other. So even there, the competitiveness is shining through. And the game is really ridiculous and convoluted and, and really hard to follow but uh, it's quite a fun little 20 minute go and watch on the iPlay it's on YouTube as well because I've just googled it it's on YouTube that that episode it ran from oh, right, okay. it ran from 1966 to 1972 as well quiz ball so. what was that game show you mentioned before when we did our random things of the 90s there was an early uh, sporting triangle sporting triangle I had the game I had the ball game for that as well oh. Elsby, I think did he present that no it was Nick, 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 Nick Owen Nick Owen yeah, Nick yeah. Owen. Uh, not your friend Elton. Friend. No, Elton was, El- Elton was probably doing uh, Busman's Holiday then. I oh, imagine. He's Busman's got himself holiday. into trouble, hasn't he, Elton? Has he? What's well, he done? He went on Twitter said he didn't like female commentators. Oh, did he? I didn't. I didn't. That might see have been that. during the World Cup. But oh, yeah, yeah, that that was a that was a while ago. I think that was during the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was on the um, quick shout out to the Football Pink and their new podcast. He's on their first episode. They're doing a that, uh, series on nineteen ninety one, I believe, and their first episode is uh, Elton Wells. We features on that. And what a, what a good listen it was, by the way. Yes, no, it's, no, it is a good listen. No, it's a very good listen. I'm, uh, I hope, can't wait to listen to the rest of the, the series of uh, a good season. Also, we did a, a whole show on that as well. Go back into the archives and listen to that. Anyway, back to we went on a right old tangent on sport quizzes there, didn't we? Didn't even mention they think it's all over and that. It's a proper quiz in the 90s. Um, 20th August 1994. We are talking until Sadio Mane ruined it for Robbie Fowler. The fastest hat-trick in Premier League history. Liverpool 3, Arsenal 0. This game was over in 4 minutes and 33 seconds from a 19-year-old Robbie Fowler. Matthew, coming to you first. What do you remember about this fast moment in Premier League history? Um, unless memory is playing tricks on me. I seem to remember following the game on the radio I don't know if this was the commentary game I imagine it was and just I, I, part of me remembers them cutting, cutting back to reports of this game and obviously the first goal going in and then the second goal and then third goal because I wasn't watching it or I wasn't following it live at the time and just thinking how incredible it was but if you look at it it's, it's almost like a microcosm of Robbie Fowler mm. at that time and that in his peak I mean in his first three full seasons at Liverpool he scored 30 goals or more I mean can you imagine a player bursting onto the scene with that kind of ratio now. I mean, that would mean that Mo Salah has to has to repeat what he did last season, just about, and then again the following season. I mean, that's some that's some incredible scoring feat. So, in hindsight, it's no real surprise that he did it. It's just the fact that he did it so quickly and against a, quite a rigid Arsenal defence at the time as well. So, mm. well, yeah, say it was literally Seaman, Dixon, Adams, Keown and Winterburn. So, I mean, Keown or Bowles, but it is, it is the Arsenal defence of that decade. Um, absolutely torn apart by, um, not like, by Robbie Fowler, but also Ian Rush, who assists on two of the goals. And then a third one uh, is assisted by John Barnes, a classic over the top. Um, they, Joel, they always say that, you know, you're most sort of vulnerable when you first scored a goal. But Liverpool, Arsenal proved that here, didn't they, with these three quick goals. Uh, what are your memories of Robbie Fowler's hat-trick? Oh, just the same thing of just the news coming through that he's got one and, you know, you don't really pay attention to one, but then he's got the other. Oh, he's got three in four minutes, 33 seconds, which coincidentally 
is also the name of an experimental piece of music by John Cage, which consists of no music whatsoever, apart from the opening of a piano lid. Mm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's pub quiz. That is and which, dynamite. And that which, is. which came which came first? Uh, the experimental piece of music by John right. Cage. Mm. Okay. But yeah, it's it's, it's kind of. I mean, the first one, the sort of key key on error, and yeah. and Fowler sort of jumps in and snaffles it. Uh, but it's the third one I like, where he kind of nearly blows it and has to get yeah. it in from such a tight angle and absolutely wallops it home. When you probably think, would it be easy for him to walk it in? But he still manages. You know, he sort of does the hard bit. Then he looks like he's going to blow it, and then he just fires home from like a yard out. But from a yard out, at a really like he's almost at a right angle to the goal. It's uh, you know, and it, it was that we always talk about this, but that stage of. You know, so many absolutely top draw English strikers at that time. You know, and the problem for Fowler was he had Shearer in front of him. Mm. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask you that. I mean, we we have mentioned Fowler obviously on this show, but probably not in great detail. We may do it more in the future. But where do you, Joe, rate Fowler in terms of that bulk of English strikers we had? Well, he was, you know, he's an absolute prodigal, brilliant talent when he was in his pomp. And and yet and yet because he was always you know Shearer was that much better you know it's and it's ridiculous Fowler would have got into any international side in the world then apart from the one that he was playing for you know <laughs> because he could if he ever came on I don't particularly remember him starting many England games do you I, he always came on I seem to remember but never. I don't really remember him starting, apart from when Shearer was injured. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this is what I was going to come on to, because what I find mind-boggling, especially ahead of the England uh, team that's, uh, squad that's going to be picked tomorrow by Gareth Southgate, and the names that we've heard rumoured that might be part of it. So, as Matthew said, he scored 30 goals um, in his first three seasons. And this season alone, he was he scored 31 goals in the 94-95 season. Uh, only Alan Shearer scored more. He did not get an England call-up to, a follow- to, the, to March 1996. That's eight months after the season even ended. Now, if an English striker came through now and scored 31 goals, it'd get in after scoring about four. You're talking about the likes of Callum Wilson and Phil Foden getting in now just because they've uh. actually played. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, Matthew, surely this, this would... How, why did it take so long for Fowler to get to the England squad? I don't know. I mean, I suppose you've got to say there were... Uh, he did have competition. He did have Shearer, I suppose... Les Ferdinand would have been there. I mean, I mean, Andy Cole didn't get as many caps as people would have thought, and he he was banging in goals in in that severe as well, wasn't he? I wonder whether there was ever a question about his behaviour or his. I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not casting aspersions about Fowler at all. But sometimes you, players aren't picked because managers don't think they fit, or they might be a bit of trouble, or, or what have you. But I mean, I did a piece on Fowler a couple of months ago. And I looked into his goal-scoring record, and you cannot fault his, his statistics. I mean, for that, those three seasons, he obviously then went on and had an injury, didn't he, which sort of yeah. bad, badly uh, hampered his career. But forget that before before that injury on that on that form alone, you'd think he would he would he would walk into an England team. I don't know. I don't know whether there was anything more to it. I don't know whether. Certain managers just didn't didn't fancy him because it can't just be a case of thinking, oh, we'll just put all our eggs in one basket with Shearer and possibly uh, Les Ferdinand. I mean, it's you'd be stupid to 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 dismiss those kind of statistics. So 
I, I just I couldn't tell you why, to be honest. Yeah. It was a, it's a funny, I suppose, Ian Wright didn't really get a major look in. I'm just looking at the top scorers, the top 10 scorers that season. So of the England strikers, Fowler was second, Ferdinand, as you mentioned, third, Stan Collymore, Cole, Letizia's in there, Sheringham, who was in and around the England squad, of course, at the time, um, Ian Wright and Chris Sutton. So, I mean, there isn't a lot... The thing is, though, Ian Wright was very much at the different end of, it, at a different yeah. end of his career, wasn't he? So there's no excuse. I mean, you could almost excuse people like Graham Taylor or what have you to say for saying well I just think he's, he's not worth building a team around he's not going to be here in four years but with Fowler it's the complete opposite I mean if you didn't know that he was going to get injured you'd think well how um, how is he going to be when he's 28, 29 if he's banging in this many goals when he's when he was in his in his late teens or, or early 20s that, that's, the, that's the bizarre thing Mm. Yeah, he, he was 19 on uh, in the, going on 20 this season I mean Gerald do you think it's a case of age I mean he only got 8 under 21 caps as well so it, it it's a very odd thing especially in that age yeah, I mean I think he was in like a lot of the squads whenever he was fit later on wasn't he but um, it's it's just very, but you know you said they call Collymore um, you know all these just incredible striking talents whereas now we've We've probably only really got one one of those, and that's yeah. Kane. Um, it, you know, um, but it is the equivalent of Kane not getting in the squad, really, isn't it? In terms of look- goal scorers, you're only Alan Shearer, yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah, so a, a, a weird analogy there from an uh, embarrassment of riches. It, indeed, it was. Yeah, that. or even look at the the, the opposite, opposing team that day. They had Ian Wright, but they also had Alan Smith and Kevin Campbell, two players who didn't ever really get in England looking as well. And, very capable goal scorers in their own level as well. Um, Stephen Schreier. Alan Smith did come on for Gary Lineker. In Infamously, Bible. yes, of course. Yeah. He's got a new autobiography out. I'm trying to get him on the show, actually, Mister. They were talking about it on Sky Sports the other day. Yeah, yeah, we're trying a to get him healthy plug. Yeah, yeah a bit, bit smudge him. I'll try and get him on the show. Um, just to wrap that up, uh, that it was season. Actually, sorry, I've just remembered. <laughs> did you see the really, really, really brilliant tweet that Alan Smith sent out the other day? Um... Where somebody tweeted him with a picture. Somebody tweeted him with a picture of. Alan Smith from Leeds <laughs> and said you're my favourite player please could you retweet this <laughs> and Alan Smith replied I think you've got the wrong fella <laughs> very good uh, was it Alan, Alan Smith at Leeds so he's all baby face not the Alan Smith who looked more like a, a washed up hobo when he was at Notts County yeah the, the Alan Smith sort of pre um, Manchester United yeah pre Manchester United and career injury uh, Liverpool finished fourth that season of course won the Coca-Cola Cup with a win at Bolton, against Bolton and Robbie Fowler as I said scored 31 goals he's also a uh, joint second for the most hat-tricks in Premier League history with Sergio Aguero only, only with nine hat-tricks only Alan Shearer have scored more hat- Premier League hat-tricks than Robbie Fowler and Sergio Aguero so yeah lots of accolades for Robbie Fowler but not so much on the international front although he was part of the Euro 96 squad um, let's go to the end of the decade and uh, to Man United because we haven't actually talked about them we're, we're over halfway through the show and we haven't even mentioned Man United but oh we're going to now 31st of August 1999 two words for you Matthew Massimo Taibi yeah um, poor fella eh um, I was thinking about this today actually you know in the, it's, it's such a laughing stock isn't it it's one of those sort of things that's played over and over again and everyone has a laugh about it and, and it just goes to show the difference in, in times we live in because you look at what's happened su- subsequently and, and particularly with Carrius at Liverpool yeah. and the whole sort of I'm not saying he wasn't ridiculed the poor lad was ridiculed and he probably always will be and he did get a lot of stick but straight away there was that sort of uh, 
sort of protective barrier went up, didn't it? And everyone was like, oh, you shouldn't really do this and you can't do that. And think of the lad's mental state and all this kind of thing. Whereas poor old Tahibi, he's just basically been, had the piss ripped out of him for the last 20 odd years, hasn't he? And um, I mean, rightly so, it was a poor mistake. Whether it was, whether it was just it. that. It, yeah, I mean, obviously, he only played, what, was it four or five times? I thought four, four, yeah, four, four times for Man United. Yeah. We all remember the, the infamous gaff against Southampton at Old Trafford that he literally squirmed under his body. And he also played in the 5-0 defeat to Chelsea. But looking at those goals, other than the first one, I don't think he's, you could really say it was his fault. Maybe the last one he could have dived a better position in, but they weren't obvious gaffes or errors or things like that. So do you not think... He was treated somewhat harshly over that. Well, I, I, I think he was treated harshly by the public and the media yeah. because for that mistake. Whether there was something going wrong behind the closed doors that maybe Ferguson just thought, I don't fancy him. I don't. It, what, maybe it wasn't just that one mistake. Maybe he saw a confidence issue. Maybe just never know, do you? But I, ca- I can't believe it was just that one mistake because I'm sure, I'm sure that sort of things happened. I'm trying to think off the top of my head of any real howlers that, um, you know, I mean, Fergie's not stupid. I know he dropped Leighton in that uh, cup final and Leighton never recovered, but that wasn't purely for one mistake. It was a bad game and he, his confidence had gone and he'd been shaky for, for some time. It wasn't just a, a one-off mistake. So it, you've got, I've got to put my trust in the fact that the manager thought there was more to it than that. And then I looked probably like you to see what he went on to do. He went Eventful. back to Italy, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he ended up becoming the only the second player in Italian, second goalkeeper to ever score in yeah. Sierra. But I mean, he played a few, a good few seasons after that, didn't he? So it didn't completely ruin his career. I mean, I'm sure he thought he hoped he would have probably gone on and played more in England. But um, I, I don't know. I, I do feel, I do feel for the fellow. I mean, he played at Anfield, didn't he, the week before that, and was voted man of the match. Mm. He spilt, he spilt one cross that led to a goal, I think, and then he made a few a few saves and was sort of lauded for that but um but yeah there's got to be more to it than that because it was it was in that era when united were desperate for a a sort of marquee goalkeeper weren't they after schmeichel had gone and was they had he the repla- was he the replacement for schmeichel or was he the replacement for bosnich well the, no. the story is that they were both vying for the place wasn't they there was competition they also had Raymond van der Howe there as well but I don't know if anyone was I don't know if they were establishing themselves as number one or number two because Bosnich was a bit of a disappointment from the off wasn't he yeah it was a bit like the um it's almost a bit going back to the right full circle it was a bit like the sort of Carrius Mignolet situation mm. at Liverpool wasn't it last season they sort of he, he had two keepers that he was sort of vying off each other and wasn't quite sure I mean I suppose you'd say Bosnich was probably the more fancied at the two because he'd played He'd played in England for longer, and he was maybe more established. But um, yeah, they didn't. They didn't. They took. A, they were dilly dally, didn't they, over a replacement for Schmeichel? And it, and it sort of. It did. Uh, it did cost them a few high profile. Few went, high profile games. They went through quite a few, didn't they? Because I'd forgotten, and we're going into the two thousands now. But I'd forgotten that Tim Howard was there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And obviously, and then when it came down, with, did Roy Carroll get an extended run? He was always there, yeah. thereabouts, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Barthez was the sort of the the big name in in between all of those, but they they did they did sort of you know mess around a bit. But I suppose it's it's such a high such a difficult position. I mean, if if De Gea went now, which is allegedly, I've heard he's refused, he's not going to sign another contract. Apparently, I'll probably date the podcast. But if he were to go now, 
I mean, there's no real ready set replacement for a keeper of his quality, is there? And, and especially someone like Schmeichel, who they had to replace, you could say more so because he was so influential in a team that hadn't won the league for 26 years before he came and was the sort of rock-solid keeper that they needed. To try and replace somebody like that makes it all the more difficult. So, no wonder they, they flapped around, to, if you pardon the pun. But, um, Are you disparaging the good name of Lee Grant as well? You already got there. <laughs> I'd disparage the name of pretty much all of that squad at the minute, to be honest. <laughs> Ferguson said he never got a proper replacement for Schmeichel until he got um, Edwin Van Der yeah. Fulham, did he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, he's included Bartes. Yeah, well, Bartes was looked upon. Bartes was looked upon as the best of them, wasn't he? But even he, I don't, I don't think he was. As, he's, there's no way he was anywhere near the statue of uh, statue of um, Schmeichel or even Van der Sar. He was. I just think he was. He came along at the time when there were so many bad mistakes they'd made that he almost looked looked the best best of a bad bunch. Without without sounding really bit bit harsh there, but um, I don't think he was ever the. The, the sort of presence that United were looking for in terms of a goalkeeper that that, that happened when Van der Sar came along. So, do you want to hear you... my favourite goalkeeper gaff of the nineteen nineties? Is it Andy yeah. Dibble? No, no. Oh, that, oh God, nine <laughs> goals in two games. Yeah, thanks, Andy Dibble. Uh, against one against your lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the five nil. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the four nil at Forest. Yeah, the, the show. No, my favourite one is uh, Gary Walsh. There you go. There's another Manchester. Oh, United. another main night keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conduit. Gary Walsh for Middlesbrough at West Ham. Um, he came out with his shorts on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and he got so distracted by having to change his, uh, put the shorts on the, rock, the right way around in the goal mouth that he let goal in after three minutes. So we got beat 2-0. So I knew we were in trouble. Since he came out with his shorts on backwards, I was like, end of game. End of game. That was a classic um, Brian Robson, Man United reject signing Gary Walsh, wasn't it? Yeah, we bought. Yeah, we had everyone. We had Clayton Blackmore and yeah. Gary Walsh. And, you know, I've sold this story loads of times, but in the game where Manchester United had to come to our place to win the league, oh, um, yeah, Andy, um, Andy, Andy, I've forgotten his name. Uh, Alan Miller was in goal for oh, right. was having a really good run, and then Robson decided he would play Gary Walsh against Manchester United. Because it would be nice. Yeah, of course it would. Yeah, yeah. Um, to tie bow on Massimo Taibbi, he signed for four point five million from Vicenza. Um, late, later called the Blind Venetian by one newspaper, which I thought was slightly harsh. Um, as he said, he played four games for United. What, what made me smile to see Chris Sutton score in that five nil Chelsea win. That was his only goal for Chelsea, if I remember. Well, only the first Premier League goal. I don't think he scored many more after that. Uh, he did win the Intercontinental Cup, not the Intercontinental Championship, the Intercontinental Cup for Man United. In 1999, before joining Regina on loan in January 2000, and then permanently in the summer, as Matthew said, became the second goalkeeper to score from open play during a 1 1 draw with Udinese the following season. The only other one, Michelangelo Rapunla in 1992. There's a name I omit, I am not aware of. I'm sure someone on Twitter is now going to be the number one Michelangelo Rapunla fan. Please tweet us. Uh, I apologise. He scored for Cremenzo against Atlanta in 1992. Um, finally, yeah, we've got one more subject tonight because this is. Broad, more broad than I thought it was after first looking into it. We're going into September, 1st of September, 1996. It's Glenn Hoddle's bow. It's David Beckham's bow. It's Andy bloody Hinchcliffe's bow. It's Moldova nil, England three, the first of the Glenn Hoddle era. As we said before we start recording, boys, this has got a lot more landmarks than we realised. Um, I've, I've taken your Hinchcliffe one, Matthew, but what do you remember of this 
Glenn Hoddle game. Yeah, hang on a minute. That, no- that noise you can hear is just me ripping up my notes. So <laughs> care- carefully prepared earlier on, and as soon as you stole my thunder, I've, to- um, I've taken your hinge. He hasn't thunder. mentioned that it was Shearer's first. Oh, I, I was meant to yet. take that thunder as well. So. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, let me just rip that page yeah. up as well. Um, I, well. I don't think there's anything else to to mention of it. Well, one thing that you do see when I'm trying to think when when, when was this? Ninety six. So the first game six, post year yeah. ninety six. Yeah, I, I mean. There's two things. One that you don't half realise how, even though Moldova, I'm not, you know, not criticising Moldova football, but it looks how dated it looks. Even then, how those sort of lesser nations. I mean, you look at the, the pictures of the game and, and some of the press coverage of the game. I mean, the, it looked like a cabbage patch. It, it looked like how. Do you remember when English teams would, or England would go and play in in Bulgaria in the 70s, and it was just all sort of behind the iron curtain, and there was military men in the crowd, and it just looked like a different planet. And when you look back at this game, I think there were only nine, nine and a half thousand people there. And the commentary you know, all sounds like he's in a broom car. Down, down a phone line, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, now if England played Moldova, you get the feeling that it would be, you know, it would be a brand new stadium and there'd be a full house and it would be, the, they'd have the standard square nets and um, all that kind of thing. But but when, when you look back at a, these kind of away European, tr- tr- tricky European ties, how, how dated it looks, despite the fact that you've got all these sort of superstars going over there. I mean, now they'd probably say the game couldn't be played because the pitch was too bobbly mm. or too dry or something. But, um, um, yeah, from a match point of view, I don't really, it didn't really do anything for me. But, but apart from the fact, looking back again at that team post-96, and you look at it, and you think, I mean, we've spoken about this before, but what a blooming good team that they had and what potential they had going into the next World Cup that they didn't really fulfil. But with the exception of Mr Hinchcliffe, um, you know, there was some great there was some great potential there, wasn't there? Including the, the aforementioned Mr Fowler as well, wasn't there? Yeah. So um, that's probably the, the biggest thing I would get from, from looking back on the, the game was, was how dated it, it looked and how backward Moldova looked and how England blew a huge chance to be a great team at the following World Cup. I was convinced, if you'd asked me about this game before I watched it again earlier, that we were playing in the indigo kit as well. It was only until I watched it earlier that we weren't. We were playing in the white kit, but for some reason in my mind I remembered it playing in the away it's pro- kit. It's probably because the TV coverage of the game was so bad. At the yeah. time. It, it's probably, it was probably in black and white. <laughs> yeah. For those of you in black and white, England are playing in grey. Um, Joe, would yeah, any further? I mean, you mentioned Alan Shearer, his first game as captain, but I mean, it was an easy start for Glenn Hoddle, relatively, really, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and you know, the opening goal from Middlesbrough's Nick Barnby, of course. Was he Borough at the it's time? Not, yeah, I think I so. Think yeah, he was still there then. Yeah, we bought him in '95, and I think we sold him in about '97, so he'll have been there then. Um, he, he's claiming it anyway. Yeah, he's claiming it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was always a fan of Nick Barnby. Um, Barnby was the player that sort of put a bit of a rubber stamp on what we were doing at Borough for us to go and sign such a, you know, who's seen as being one of the brightest young prospects in, in the country. Um, Tall like Alan Ball though, didn't he? It, it, yeah, yeah. He's also got a very squeaky yeah, voice. Yeah, a very squeaky voice. Uh, little Nick Barnby. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was it, it was that thing of, we'd had the disappointment of Euro 96, but there was very much the air of this was a work in progress and we were going somewhere and, and there was this, you know, that side were now one tournament richer uh, in experience. Shearer was obviously one of the best strikers in the world. And there was this young, bubbling generation of, of brilliant young players coming in, including Barnby and Mr Beckham. Yes, David Beckham's England debut just days after he scored that uh, famous goal uh, for Man United against Wimbledon on the, over the halfway line. I mean, 
as the Man United fan, Matthew, was that the right point? Was Beckham ready for England at that point? Yeah, I was just thinking when you were saying it there, it's obviously in hindsight, everything sort of all blurs into one, but I'm surprised he wasn't blooded a little bit earlier. But then I suppose, again, looking at the teaming they had in Euro 96, um, they didn't really need him. But you just think, if England had a player with that sort of potential, that much hype around them now, you get the feeling they would have been thrust into the limelight a little bit earlier. But um, Well, Phil, Fo- was... Phil Foden is a perfect example. There's rumours yeah. to believe he could be in England squad tomorrow and he's played, what, six games for Man City? It's ridiculous. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously Beckham hadn't reached the sort of heights then. But, I mean, 96, he was still... He was pretty... He was pretty um, established, wasn't he? He was, he was pretty... He'd done, we all knew who he was and what he was capable of. So it's strange to think that... Um, I think it worked out like that. But then again, I suppose it depends on the, the sort of depth of talent you've got to choose from. Maybe managers weren't as keen to sort of thrust players in at that at that young age uh, then. I say a lot of it's based on hindsight because we obviously know what he wanted, went on to do. But um, I'm just basing it on, on these days when you seem to be able to get an England cap from, you know, just... Being turned up and what, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, but I mean, I think it worked out right for him. He, he wasn't, it didn't seem to phase him. He, um, and yeah, he, obviously, in '98, everyone said he was young and naive and stupid. But I mean, he probably could have done that when he was whatever age he was. Yeah. So, I think it all worked out right in the end. He did all right for himself. A hundred and yeah. odd caps, or what it was later. And there's quite 115 a- caps, 17 goals, 59 as captain. 8,335 minutes on the pitch. Thank you very much, Statman Joel. There's a strong borough link throughout this team, actually. I don't know if you noticed the team on the day. Pallister played, Paul Ince. Oh, there's a couple of Southgate. others there. Southgate. Southgate, yeah. Um, no, Southgate wasn't in the squad. Wasn't in the squad that for that for that game. For, cause, no, no. Um, it must have been in... Because there was a few names. Because I was trying to compare the squad to the final... To the squad at your 96. So there was no Adams. There was no Southgate. Um, but I'm, they obviously did come back into it later on because they both played at the uh, the World Cup in 98 so there must have been injury or whatever at the time the only two names I could find so, that never played for England again that played at Euro 96 was David Platt who retired post Euro 96 and Steve Howey oh poor, yeah poor, his last cap came under Terry Venables he was never capped again so obviously not a Glenn Hoddle not a fan although on, a good, sorry go on I was going to say on the bench um, Sol Campbell Ian Walker Steve Stone Les Ferdinand and Mark Draper Oh, crikey, was he get Leicester or Villa then? I think he would have been at Villa, I'm pretty yeah. sure. But never got a cap, but made that squad and was on the bench for this game. You know what, I'm trying to think, how old would Andy Hinchcliffe have been then? Because he was no, he wasn't, he would have been not been, he must have been mid-late, mid-twenties, wasn't he? Uh, he's fifth or fifth, he's 69, uh, he wasn't actually age 69, he was born in 1969. Yeah, so, good maths. Because he, he, he must have come up, he must have, he, he was a left-sided player, wasn't he, Hinchcliffe? Yeah, well, remember, this is the first three-five-two, wasn't it? That you know, Glenn yeah, invented. So, so. He, there was always that you were, you know, you had a sort of bounty on your head if you could kick the ball with your left foot for England for years, couldn't you? Yeah, didn't Steve, you? So Steve Frogger, Steve Guppy, yeah. Sinson, yeah. So I oh, assume yeah. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> It's, um, not not dismissing Andy Hinchcliffe at all. The ex or uh, Andy Hinch or Andy Hinch City, yeah, no. But um, it just seemed straight. It just popped out to me that he was making his debut, and he was 27. And I don't think he really played much of a part after that. Did he only he only played five or six games? I think. Yeah, England. yeah. I think yeah. He was he was in and out. He was never really a regular, wasn't he? I mean, Graham So was the one that took over eventually for that left back spot in the three yeah. five two. So um, he, he he never was left behind. He's a decent pundit though, Andy Hinchcliffe is a decent pundit. Um, yeah. I found, you want my uh, pub quiz question? Go for it. Okay, David Beckham. Mm-hmm. Two red cards for England. 
What was the other one? Um, mm, I can see <laughs> it. I can see it in Turkey. Uh, no, no, mm. Austria, two thousand five. Oh god, I would never, I would never have got that. No, yeah, I was thinking Sweden. That was skulls and ints, though. I think. Oh, but, yeah. yeah, Turkey missed a penalty. That's what I'm thinking of. He missed a penalty against Turkey. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, Austria. I don't even remember that game. It's not nineties. Oh, I'm, I'm taking that. It's not two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah. I'll get out of the technicality. I found an article on this game um, earlier on, and the opening paragraph made me smile. It said the Spice Girls are at number one with Wannabe, and Will Smith is battling aliens in Independence Day. And I was like, oh, all woman snuggling, that's proper Independence 90s. Day is a terrible film. It's a great it's 90s been, film. Oh, it's, 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 it's trash, but it's 90s it's trash. propaganda. Oh, yeah. Like, Forrest Gump is another one. <laughs> oh, God. But Absolute Bill, American isn't America great propaganda nonsense. You can't beat a, beat a Bill Pullman speech in Independence Day. That's a great speech. The sequel was it? I would beg to do it. I bet you different where the Spice, Spice Girls was in September. They weren't number one. Yeah, no, it didn't go to number one until about August, I think. It was number one for six weeks. Uh, so I probably pushed it. I, I seem to remember it being out earlier in the summer, but obviously it might have. If it had been number one for six weeks, it probably was number one, so fair enough. I like that you're begging to differ that the Spice Girls are number one. Nothing well, to do I just, with Independence I, Day. No, I didn't watch that. I, was too... <laughs> I, just, uh, I just remember Wannabe being out sort of in the height of the summer, and I don't really class the height of the summer as being sort of early football. I say you'll be there is a better record. That's the best song. That is the best yeah, song the Spice yeah, Girls yeah. ever did. Looked yeah. uh, rather lovely in those um, outfits in the video as well. In the <laughs> desert. In the desert, yeah. yes. That's, a, that's such a tune. Is that, is that a sample? No, it's just it's a bit Stevie Wonder. Oh, it was a bit Stevie it? Wonder, like, yeah. Sort of yeah. Like 80s, early 80s Stevie Wonder before he did I Just Can't Say I Love You. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a, an, an absolute tune. Um, well, that's almost... At the end of the show, I can't let Joel go without mentioning a certain landmark this week as well. <laughs> the opening of the Riverside, Mr. Young. You, uh, Selnet Riverside Stadium. The Selnet Riverside Bye. against Chelsea. I, but if I remember rightly, and this is I haven't done any research on this because I didn't need to with you on the show, but didn't Craig Hignett have a role to play in this, if I believe right? right? scored the first goal yes and the second goal was scored by Jan Agafjortov and we beat Chelsea 2-0 and the second game was a very boring 0-0 against Southampton on a Tuesday night but um, yeah it's um, I think we we were like the first I think you know of the new stadiums Mm. I kind of suspect we would have it was the first new one to have been built in sort of 40 years or something or 45 years it was a long time um and and then sort of our stadium, they used the same design for Stoke and the same design for Derby. So it's all your fault, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was. Uh, it's. I mean, it's. It's still just a nice stadium. The, the big letdown with everything at the Riverside Stadium is the land around it, because we were promised it was going to be all redeveloped and the river was going to be lovely and we're going to have tall ships and we're going to have this and that. And apart from a college and an office building. There's nothing really else there still, and it's 22 years since, uh, 23 years, sorry, since since it opened, and uh, yeah, that's a disappointment. But it's still, you know, it's a nice, it's it's a ground of our level, and it's certainly home now. Now that you know, once once you kind of settle in, and the end that was meant to be the singing end is, is sort of being transplanted to the other end, if that makes sense, you know. And and the supporters have kind of made that decision. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a nice crowd, and it was ex- exciting times, exciting times. Um, I was in New York, this is peculiar, and um, we went into this bar and got a couple of drinks, and, and the guy behind the bar says, oh, where are you from? 
I said, oh, town in northeast England, you won't know it. He went, try me. I went, okay. So I said, oh, it's called Middlesbrough. He went, been there. I went, shut up, man. You haven't been to Borough. He went, I went to a, I went to a nightclub that was like a big theatre. And I went, yeah, the Empire. And he went, and we went to a game. And it was Manchester United. It was Manchester United. And it was, do you remember this one? Borough 2, Man United 2, our place, Matthew. I think there was, yeah. there was a crazy goal from Scholes where he got a free kick inside the box. I think, and wallops it in, um, and um, and and this guy was talking to me about going to sell that and everything, and he said, he said, oh, I stayed in this really peculiar place. He said, I looked up one way and there was beautiful hills, and I looked down the other way and there was all industry and stuff belching into the sky, and it turned out the house that he'd stayed in in Middlesbrough was next door to my best friend's. Wow! <laughs> did did you ever find out why he was there? Right. What had happened was he'd, he'd, he'd met some he'd met some like guys from Middlesbrough who'd gone into his bar in New York and Borough lads being Borough lads had gone, oh yeah mate, if you ever come to England, just come and we'll take you out, we'll give you a night out and rah rah rah. And so he, he went to London then thinking Middlesbrough was about half an hour away and, and jumped on a train and went up and they did look after him and took him out and they had a whale of like, I think they spent three days in Borough with his people just getting on it and going mad and going to football match. They saw the two best things basically, the Empire and the Riverside and you know after that there's not really much else to see but but there you go. But that was, you know, but some some wicked moments there, you know, the, I always, the Chelsea game, the 1-0 where Janino, the diving header, one oh. of my favourites. Uh, Liverpool in the semi-final of the cup where Marco Branca scored with his first touch in a Borough shirt. Um, you know, some some exceptional... Ra- Ravinelli's hat-trick. Ravinelli's yeah. hat-trick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's been some superb moments. Was, was that where the picture of Brian Robson in the half-suit, half-shorts? No, Park. That was Ayrson Park. That was just yeah. before he... Yeah, the, yeah that's a shame. Yeah, just when he got the job, yeah, because he had one season at Ayrson Park and then we, we moved there. Um, but yeah, it's, and it, it is home now. I don't even think there was any sort of teething troubles at the time. I don't think anybody was too insanely sad to leave Ayrson Park. You know, it was, it was falling a bit and it was tatty and, and we knew we weren't going to attract the players who we wanted to attract with a, you know, a, a, a 1900s ground in the centre of town, essentially. Mm. I was going to ask you, do you miss it to miss Ayrson Park? Um, we, well, we, I used to live literally next door to it. <laughs> so you kind of miss all the hubbub of, of the thing. But no, not really. I, I think it feels more like a, a, a day out now, I think, when you when you go to the side because it is in the middle of nowhere. You know, you've got to walk through a crazy somewhere to it, get there. It's a question for you, Joe. You lived right next to the ground, like a lot of people did in those sort of old terrace yeah. houses and still still do. Were there ever games where you that you didn't go to, but you would be... Sat in the house and the game was going. Oh yeah, on. the windows, the doors, and the doors and the windows would rattle. Yeah, because uh, I remember, I always remember going to those sort of games. Um, I mean, some of them still exist: Goodison Park, Anfield. I suppose yeah, maybe not White Hart Lane, but yeah, where well, you'd come out and there's the houses directly there, and you'd actually come out of a game and you'd look through someone's window and they were sat watching the scores coming, and you think how weird to be sat there while that's going on right behind you and you're not there. And uh, yeah. I suppose you, you get used to it, but. I just think, what, what what excuse did you ever have for thinking, no, I'm not going to go today? I mean, literally, up, like, car parking, you know, because you couldn't get parked. And then, obviously, it was just it was just crazy busy. And, yeah, but the, the doors and the windows would rattle and the dogs and the cats would go mad when the boys scored. Yeah, I mean, we, we literally lived 50 yards from there. And then uh, my best friends who lived, uh, like, 50 yards the other side of it. So we were always sort of 
involved in the thick of it, you know. And I only ever remember trouble once, which is really peculiar against Newcastle, and there was running right running battles through the streets. You know, we we were looking out of the window and sort of sort of half petrified, half totally tickled by you know these crazy punch ups happening up and down the road. And of course, the day I, uh, that Robert Plant came on Sunday brunch, he told me about like at the height of Led Zeppelin fame with the airplane and the albums and all the rest of it, that he would, you know, he'd go and follow wolves all over the place and he, he would go to Weston Park and take huge amounts of acid and go and sit and watch the game. <laughs> I just said to him, what, you did that? You took trips and you went to Weston Park? And he went, yeah, it wasn't the best idea I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Loftus yeah. Road's a bit like that. That's still surrounded by houses as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always a, it's always a, it used to fascinate me coming out of games when I was a kid and you'd look in and there'd be someone sat watching the, fi- the final score and you'd just come out of that game and thinking, why didn't you just go and watch the yeah, game? Yeah, why didn't you just but, go over the road and watch the game, yeah, yeah. Uh, I never went, like, but my dad never went and, he, and, my, and my dad likes the football, he knows the football, but he never went, he never took me. I mean, I didn't go until, I wasn't interested when I was a kid, you know, like as a young kid, but when I got to like 16, 17, 18, that's when I started going, which is normally, you know, most people go when they're like eight or nine. But my dad never, ever wanted to go. It's really peculiar. And my, my mother had a total aversion to all sports. So, you know, it wasn't until later on when I started going as a communal thing, I suppose, with my mates. And, and you had a bit more money then. So, cause, yeah. you know, I would be going to spend my money on records rather than going. Do you, do you regret that? Do you look back now and think, oh, I can't believe I wasn't at that game in X, you know, blah, 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 when I was sat I probably... Think we a... going once. I think we went, I think we played Southampton at home and we got beat and I hadn't really enjoyed it much. But I had a friend who got me into it. He said, you'd love it, you'd love it. And I went, why? And he said, you'd love the singing. And that was the thing that got that got me there in the end was the fact that he taught me all the songs and I went and jumped about and sang and it was sort of big and raucous and very male because I didn't have much maleness going on in my life, I suppose. So that was sort of quite interesting. It's probably another, you know, if we want to get into the psychoanalysis of it, it's probably another reason why I like wrestling. Because like, there yeah. wasn't any male influences in my life and then all of a sudden these enormous, coked up, hilarious <laughs> men just on the telly and I'm like, all right, there's a royal model. And what, uh, and what about the WWE? <laughs> yeah, we just thought about we were just about the crowd in the whole game. Yeah. Um, oh, so who would have guessed the singing would have got you in? Yeah, it was the singing. Yeah, and and then later on, but I I don't feel any regret about not going back in the day, particularly because I think I got the most exciting time, which was Brian Robson coming, moving to the Riverside, Janino, the cup runs. I got all all that stuff. So, and I always felt like a bit of a cheat. I didn't go to the UEFA Cup final. Um, because I hadn't, I used to DJ, I used to run a club night on a Thursday night at the Corner House, 69, if you're in Middlesbrough, you'll know what that is. And um, it's, called, it's called 69, 69 pence a drink, by the way. But I didn't feel like I'd earned my stripes by not, because I hadn't been to any of the European games because I was always working. So I didn't feel like I'd earned my corn to, to go to that UEFA Cup final. Whereas with the Cup runs in uh, 96, 97, 98, I felt like I had earned and deserved that because I'd gone over and over again. I travelled all over the country to go and see him and, and I deserved them, but the, the other one, I, I didn't really. It's funny you say that. I got offered um, a ticket for the Europa League final the other year um, when United were in it and I couldn't go. The flights were from here, it was it was probably two or three days before the final and the flights were literally like three, four thousand pounds. And a mate of mine did go, but he had real sort of doubts about it. He was thinking, well, I shouldn't go because I haven't been to any of the other games. I haven't done it. It's funny how that sort of sense of uh, sort of 
dignity and respect still still exists, doesn't it? Whereas most people just go, oh yeah, ticket to a European final. But it, I it, felt it, like that was robbing somebody who yeah. who had put the hours in, and I was like, yeah. I couldn't morally uh, do that. I just felt I was really strongly, and I had a mate who sort of somehow got tickets to the FA Cup final and the two League Cup finals, and he hadn't been to any of the games, and I remember nah. being a bit resentful of that. Yeah. I was yeah. going like, yeah, this isn't cool. You can't just swan up now. You know what I mean? We went to, you know, we went to, or, we went to Old Trafford and Hillsborough and, and all over the place, you know, following them. And, and then you come now. So that always left a bit of a funny taste in my mouth. Sorry, Dave, if you're listening, but it did. <laughs> uh, Sorry, yeah, Dave. It was, yeah, it was just very, you know, and then and I didn't go to the one we won either. I wasn't, I wasn't in Cardiff for the uh, 2004 for the same reasons, is, is that I wasn't really living in Borough. I was, you know, I was getting the games now and again, but I, I hadn't done anything to earn that. You know, it was, it's really funny and moral. Missed the greatest moment in our history because the weird attack of morals, which is very unlike me. So obviously, when you get offered corporate tickets for the Coppa Italia final or the, uh, well, that's Real Madrid Barcelona, you'll turn it down and say, well, it was all thrown in. My mate just had one from Australia, and he got to go to the new camp and watch a game and got. Fed and watered by them all weekend, so that's sounds pretty jolly. How am I when it's a jolly, you can be forgiven. It's work, isn't it? Let's be honest, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got to be honest and, and say it's time to go. It's uh, been a pleasure, as always, lads. We haven't even mentioned Top of the Pops, but I'm not going to even go there. So that's just a Joel, you're in and out of the Twitter, but where can people find you? Yeah, everything is Joel Baby Herc at uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I've been Instagramming, um, you've been Instagram's winding people up who aren't who are at work, haven't you? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. But I'd worked all weekend, so yeah. So, but that that is a stock favourite uh, pause of mine when I go out on a Tuesday afternoon drinking. Yeah, um, Instagram's a nicer place. I, I sort of go on open Twitter and I just get a headache instantly with people shouting and screaming at each there's other. Lot, just like, yeah, you, there's a lot of shouting that. and screaming on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but where can people find you if they want to shout and scream at you, Matthew? Well, they can't because I don't do a lot of shouting and screaming <laughs> unless they come and find me in, my, in the pub. Um, at Matthew J Christ on Twitter. Mm, thank you very much, gents. Uh, you can follow the show on fa- on not well, we can on Facebook. We don't really use it very often, but more likely on Twitter at AK Nineties and Instagram. Follow our Instagram account at AK Nineties Pod or myself at Ashrose UK. This has been this week in the Nineties. Look out for more Nineties action coming your way soon in another full length episode of the podcast. Just watch out on the Twitter feed for the subject. And until next time, keep it Nineties. <laughs>